Let's read together um, the passage or part of the passage we read last week, Ephesians 5, 22, through to the end of the chapter. The Word of God says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one each, of, each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, we plead with you that you would allow your word to go forward and to accomplish all that it has been given to do. And we know you will answer our prayers because you promised this very thing. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, we began a sermon series Uh, that we are calling uh, Picking Weeds in the Garden of Everyday Life. And we're talking, of course, about picking sins and plucking out sins that tend to grow up in our very ordinary and normal human experience. And to guide us uh, in our study, we're looking at Ephesians 5, 22 uh, through chapter 6, verse 9, because this passage really deals with where most Christians live. On a daily life, we're, on a daily basis, we're all engaged, uh, not all of us individually, but we're engaged in marriages and families and work. And it's there in daily life that we need to pluck out specific weeds or sins so that we can enjoy walking through life with Jesus who saved us from our sins. And last week we began looking at marriage. And uh, we saw that the purpose of marriage is to put Jesus on display. That might not strike you as quite as radical as it really is. The purpose of marriage is to put Jesus on display. The primary purpose of marriage is not preserving a family's social status or wealth, like you read about in a Jane Austen book from the 19th century. The primary purpose is not my personal pleasure, like governs so many marriages today. The primary purpose is to put Jesus on display. 
Now, this does not mean that marriage does not help grow a family's wealth. It actually generally does. And it doesn't mean marriage is not meant to make you happy. Those are perks. But the primary purpose, the main event, what you're going for, where you're aiming, whether you're succeeding or not, is focused here. Is this relationship putting Jesus and his relationship with the church on display. That is the mystery of marriage that the Apostle Paul talks to us about. That's what he tells us marriage is all about. It is a relationship that's putting salvation on display, which actually means you can have a marriage that's quite hard and you can be doing it right. Because Jesus is loving a bride in need of love. And when a woman is submitting to a man who's not perfect like Jesus, she's honoring him as unto the Lord, which means that the purpose of marriage can be going forward even when marriage is not increasing your social or financial status or your personal pleasure. Marriage is meant primarily and fundamentally to put Jesus on display. Now, we said that last week, and then from there we looked at various weeds that creep into the lives of married women. We looked at the weed of disrespect and the weed of being a doormat. And before we're done today, we, we'll look at the weed of being a contentious nag. And I, I thought about, you know, I didn't know if I should definitely come back to this point, but uh, I was leaving this morning to come to the church early and I crept over to my wife's side of the bed and I gave her a kiss goodbye. And I walked over and I opened the door to leave and she goes, will you be preaching the part about the quarrelsome wife this morning? <laughs> and I, I, I said, yeah, I, I was thinking about it. And, 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 and she, she said, uh, well, don't forget the verse about fretting not, it only leads to evil. And then I basically laid back down in bed and she unfolded my whole point for me and it says she expounded multiple scriptures. So, but we'll get to that in a little while. Anyway, we looked at these weeds of disrespect, being a doormat, which no Christian wife was ever intended to be, and we'll look at being a quarrelsome or a nag. And as we get to men, we'll look at the sins of lovelessness, ignorance, neglect, and harshness. And if you're a normal human being, especially a normal married human being, this is going to hurt. So I want to take a minute before we really jump in. And when I say take a minute, I mean I take a lot of minutes. Like this is going to be a lot of minutes. Like some of you are visiting for the first time and you may think that was so many minutes just telling stories that I'm not sure I'm ever coming back again. So just if you've, if you've, been, if you've been here for a while, maybe you could turn to the visitors and say he normally spends a lot of time in the text. Uh, if you can say that with a clear conscience. But I'm pretty sure you can but I'm gonna take a lot of minutes telling you some stories. And I wanna take a lot of minutes telling you some stories because I, I believe there's something very important that I have had the privilege of experiencing that I want to pass on to you as we think about Christianity in our daily lives. So we are probably, as we continue to think about sins that plague women and wives and sins that plague men and husbands, 
going to feel the pinch of the Holy Spirit? I want to tell you some stories that shape how we respond to that. What happens to you when you get convicted? What happens to you when you feel pinched by the Holy Spirit? What happens to you when you're pressed on some particular sin in your life? Do you get defensive? Do you get depressed? Do you give up and throw up your hands? I'm never gonna change, it's never enough. What happens? Do you feel condemned? Do you feel like you could never do anything of great significance, never leave a good legacy because you are so infected by the sins that ruin the world? What I wanna do for a number of minutes is, is give you an example of what it looks like to have your sin exposed, even awful sin exposed, and to respond in a way that's so full of gospel grace that it changes you and the lives of everyone you touch. And to do that, I wanna primarily tell you about my father-in-law. One of the greatest blessings of my life has been to marry Christy Teal. Now Christy Fullerton, praise the Lord for that. And one of the greatest blessings of marrying Christy Teal has become being, becoming part of a family where the patriarch is her dad, Grant Teal. Now on paper, uh, you might not think Grant Teal is a great patriarch, great head of the home. You've probably never heard of him. If you did hear a brief summary of his life, it would include going to seminary, becoming a pastor, being disqualified from being a pastor because of prevalent pornography use, and then driving a Greyhound bus for a couple of decades until retirement. A brief summary of his life would also include the fact that he had three children, Brooke, John, and Christy, and that his first wife, their mother, was killed by a drunk driver when Christy was five. An action he thinks was God's discipline on him for his extreme disobedience as he was married to her. Nothing too magnetic here. Failed ministry, a home deeply touched by tragedy. Nonetheless, I'll tell you, there's not a man in this room who would not be a better man if he were more like Grant Teal. I have felt this way about my father-in-law for years. But exactly how to put his impact on the family into, the, into words came to me at a funeral a few weeks ago. Many of you are aware that Chrissy's mom died uh, just after Thanksgiving. And a couple of weeks ago was the funeral of Chrissy's second mom. Her mom, first mom, biological mom died, killed by a drunk driver. Second mom just died a few months ago, Esther Teal. And Esther Teal is the woman who married Grant after his first wife was killed by a drunk driver. She's the woman who mothered my wife and her brothers into adulthood, and her funeral was a real celebration of Christ's life and Esther's life. It was a, it was a funeral deeply touched by my father-in-law, Grant Teal. What effect did he have on it? Well, uh, he had all three of the siblings give a long eulogy. Uh, Christie's was so rich in the theology that the Methodists were signing up to get her to become a preacher. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> it, 
it was so rich. Uh, he had every single one of the grandchildren pray. Before the funeral, he called each one of them and coached them on what it would look like to pray in a way that was faithful and honoring to God and what they would be asked of in that time of the service and how they should focus and direct their prayers. Because of my father-in-law in the funeral service, dozens and dozens of scriptures read as a pastor, watching these pastors read all these scriptures, I was just imagining how they must felt. So the man whose wife died is giving you like 25 scriptures, I want these read. Okay, we'll, we'll make that happen. It was just an amazing time uh, of glorifying God. Grant at one point, who had just finished being a nurse for five years, I mean, we just finished nursing James with his eye injury for a week. We're, we're totally worn out. Uh, if there's any incoherence in this sermon, I'm going to blame it on that. At the end of five years of nursing his wife, of just deadly cancer, progressing and ravaging his body, he's standing up in front of the whole congregation, directing them to praise the Lord for all his goodness towards him and his wife. And uh, then I had been asked to give the closing prayer at the end of the funeral. So here's this funeral of God's being glorified, so encouraging. I'm being asked to give the closing prayer. I'm trying to keep myself from writing a brief sermon while I'm sitting there in the, in the pew. And uh, when it comes my time to get up, I just feel like I need to really honor my father-in-law, honor uh, his impact on our family, his love for his wife. And I said something about him and about his family that I got to marry into that resonated with the congregation, resonated with the family, and I want to share with you. I said, what makes the Teals so endearing, so compelling, is they are obviously flawed and warm towards the gospel. And what's so compelling about being obviously flawed, that is, if you walk up to a teal, if you walk up to Christie's dad, if he were standing here right now, he would say, tell them more, son, that's fine, you go ahead, Jesus save me, you tell them whatever you need to tell them about my sin, just as long as he gets all the glory. I know that's what he'd say. I know because I called him last week and I said, Hey, Dad Teal, I want to share a little bit about your testimony in the service. And he says to me, you are free. You don't need to ask my permission to anything. You share whatever you need to do. I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's, it's your sin. It's your life. I just want to make sure I can. I know you watch the videos. So you're going to see this. He's like, I know. He goes, I, I was invited once to, to come to one of my sons giving a testimony about me. His middle son had been in a, a rehab facility. He had been in a teen challenge. And his son gave this testimony that delineated all of the ways his dad had sinned and harmed him. And Grant's response to that was, oh, that was good for me. That was so good for me. Sometimes it's good to sit in those juices and just be humbled by them. If you're getting a sense of the man, good. That, that's my point. I said to this funeral, and I realize I'm jumping all over the place, but I said to this funeral, 
What makes the teals so compelling is they're obviously flawed. They'll tell you about their flaws. You don't have to dig around and hear it from somebody else. They're the ones coming forward with, here's the way we have struggled. Here's the difficulties that have come into our lives. Here's the way we've sinned against each other. Here they are, so obviously flawed and yet not despairing, but warm towards the gospel. And what I said about this, and this is what I want to say to you, this is, this is, if I could transfer something, here's what it would be. Is that that model of leadership is easily replicatable. Before you memorize all the fighter verses, before you've got a catechism memorized to pass on to your children, before you buy the biggest book of theology you can handle and read it all and then resolve that you will teach it all your kids, you can be a broken sinner who tells people you're a broken sinner and that Jesus Christ is enough for you. And my wife's testimony is even though she watched her dad fall in the ministry, even though they had to relocate because of that happening, even though she experienced all of that, she would say, the biggest positive impact my dad had on me was sitting around the kitchen table, confessing his sins, acknowledging his temptations, sharing God's word, explaining where he had found hope in Christ. My father-in-law, if you get to spend any time with him, first he'll be asking questions about you, trying to get to know you, but if it turns to him, you're gonna hear about how he had lived a double life in ministry, how he was all about appearances, how after he called out to God for deliverance from porn, how he was shaped by the first Adam to be a performer rather than a real man of God, and through it all, uh, he'll start focusing on the new Adam that's saving him. That's the kind of vibe you're going to get. What's the fruit of that kind of life? Well, two more stories. And why am I spending so long on these stories? I, I'm spending so long on these stories because this congregation knows the word submit. It knows the word love. You know that. You've heard that prayed a thousand times, preached a thousand times. You know that. But the, the brokenness to be able to communicate how far short I'm falling of that and then to ask God for help to grow up into that, we're strangers to that many times. Strangers. To that, saying to Christy the other day, it's amazing, and I include myself in this, you get reformed people, reformed in their theology, and they, they, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. There's none righteous, no, not one. And, and, uh, and I'm broken, and I'm flawed, and, and my every thought is evil all the time, but there's been this amazing display of grace where Jesus died to save me from my sin, and all this stuff should just melt you and mold you. And then someone comes along and says, and you're the head of your home. And it's like, boom, the only thought a guy can think is authority. It's like the only, only theology in the Bible is the theology of authority. 
and all the tenderness and love that the gospel produces vanishes in light of this, I'm supposed to lead the home without ever any thought that maybe these things go together. Maybe the way we lead homes and churches is out of that brokenness the gospel produces and out of that faith in a savior who's died for us. Two more stories. Okay, so here's what it looks like to get together with a family led by Grant Teal every time. We're at the beach, this happens. We're at a wedding, this happens. We're at a funeral, this happens. We're barely together for a few minutes in a Tim Hortons, this happens. This is the way it's gonna be. At some point, he's gonna say, well, we should, we should share. And then he's gonna reach into his pocket and he's gonna pull out a three by five card and there's gonna be a verse, there's gonna be a verse on it that he's been meditating on for weeks as he thought about sharing with his family. And he's gonna say something like, oh, God's got me on a tight leash. Oh, I get so mad at Greyhound customers who just mistreat me. Oh, God's got me on a tight leash, he's, but he's teaching me. And I've found all the riches and the fullness of Jesus Christ and the tears start coming. And my, my kids could imitate this for you. They've all heard it umpteen times. And every time I'm there, I'm like, does he even know the impact this has on our hearts? And I watch so many of my friends go and see their families, and I know they have these caustic experiences over and over and over that demoralize them. And then every time I go see Christie's family, it's like, let's share. And then he, he reads his verse, he cries, he talks about Jesus, and then he shuts up. And then what usually ensues is about two hours of everyone else beginning to say, here's where I'm struggling with sin, and here's where I'm resolving for obedience, and here's what I'm reading in the Word, and here's how I'm trusting God. And all of a sudden, you've just got this, this man, this broken man, this fallen pastor, this man who's driving Greyhound, this man whose life is not climbing any ladders anywhere, setting the tone for generations in brokenness and in love, and I, I just think in this room, there's guys who are getting off of drugs and alcohol, and you're, they're not here right now, but you got wives and kids somewhere else who are just destroyed because of your life. And there's guys here, who they're complementarian, and they know men are supposed to lead their homes, but your wives find you a terror. You're just an authoritarian jerk, and you're wondering, is there any way I could do something good for this family, or is it just gonna have to be more of me cracking down and managing this thing into godliness? I'm telling you, there is a way to lead into a legacy. It just involves you crucified. It just involves you confessing your sins and you pointing to your hope in Christ. And all of a sudden, there's this, there's this freedom among these kids that get all bound up, trying to do it all right all the time. All this is freedom that begins to emerge from everyone in the room. Is, I could confess my sins too. Oh, I could get grace too. Dad just admitted he's a mess. Oh, we all get to be a mess. And we can change. But it's not just top down. It's not like we're pretending to change. It's actually we're going to the, the changer, the savior, 
the one who transforms our lives. Last story. Night after the funeral for Christy's mom, I was done. I was so tired I almost became an introvert. (laughs) Yeah. I was looking for some place in the house to become a vegetable. Everyone was settled into good, deep conversations between cousins and second cousins, reminiscing about this amazing funeral and the wonderful life Esther had lived. And I found a couple of guys downstairs watching a hockey game. I thought, perfect. Perfect Canadian brainless activity. If there had been a seat on the couch, I would have fastened it. Seatbelt. Then my phone rang. It was my father-in-law. He said, son, I think we need to capitalize on the things God has been doing today. (laughs) He knew that at that home where I was, there was a wayward cousin, a struggling marriage, and about 40 Christians who all needed the presence of the Lord. He said, I think you should start a prayer time. I had no interest in starting a prayer time. I just wanted to start the third period. I said weekly, W-E-A-K-L-Y. I said weekly, I'll see if there's any interest in that. I said, will you be coming back over here to lead that time? He said, no, son, you go ahead. I started going around the house telling people that grandpa thought we should have a sharing time. I was hoping that someone, maybe my wife would say, we're all tired in the middle of good conversations. Nobody gave me any help. And pretty soon I was in a room, 14 by 14 living room with 40 people. And I started a prayer time that pretty soon I could not stop. I actually tried to stop it a couple of times. It went on for about two hours. Confession of sin, pleas for prayer, scriptures were shared, name Benny Hinn came up, false teachers were warned against, Jesus was praised, a song was sung, brokenness abounded, confession abounded, grace abounded, resolves for new obedience abounded, unity abounded, And Grandpa was not even there to enjoy the family culture he had formed. Obviously flawed. Warm to the gospel. Easily replicatable. His obviously flawed, warm to the gospel life had proved itself replicatable and was infecting multiple generations. Emmanuel, you are flawed. In this room are deep struggles with porn, disrespect, being a doormat, a nag, an angry man, a negligent man, a harsh man. There are struggling marriages, struggling singles, 
All that sin stuff in the New Testament is all right here. And in one sense, that's okay. God can work with that. As one preacher put it, it's okay to be there, you just can't stay there. God can work with you. What he will not work with is the ones always covering it up. Or maybe I should put it this way. If you're covering up your sin, he may work with you, but it will be brutal. We are flawed. The question is, will we be evidently and obviously flawed? That's the most liberating people in the world. And the only way you can be evidently and obviously flawed is if you're breathing the gospel that says, I have loved you even when you were a sinner. I have declared you righteous even when you're wicked. All you need to be accepted before God, I have done. And now you don't need to be, pretend to be something you're not. Now you can come clean about who you really are. And when you come clean about who you are, here's what actually starts happening. Real growth. If we all start confessing our sins and our evident, obvious brokenness more, it won't create more unholiness in the church. It will only uncover the unholiness that's already there. And what it actually opens up is an opportunity for the gospel to move in. And, and what I just love is that I think what happens is, you know, you get guys, they get 20 years into marriage, they've been angry the whole time. Or you get women, they get 20 years into marriage and they've been anxious and quarrelsome the whole time. Or you get a lot of you, you know, you're three, four, five years into marriage and you're laying some good foundations that are gonna blow up in your face in 10 or 15 years. You get folks like that and they think there's no way out. And there's definitely no way I could do anything amazing or impactful or encouraging. That's a lie. The truth is, any sinner who will come clean to God and other sinners about their sins will receive grace and mercy. And when you create a culture where that's the expectation, where that's normal, you get lots of grace and mercy. And you get holiness, but it's a sweet and attractive kind of holiness that not, doesn't make people think they need to put something on to get there, but they need to come clean and trust to get there. Now, if you're a particularly discerning individual, you may be saying, he hasn't been in the text at all. Fair enough. What I'm trying to do just by example is, is actually bring something I don't think we have a lot of. And, and I wanna shape actually the way we respond to these texts. What is it? One thing, you should be more submissive. You should be more loving. It, you should do it for Jesus' sake. Yeah, but... What's the culture where that gets received? How does that actually play out? That's the purpose of these stories. And I wanna thank my father-in-law for the marvelous grace of God in his life. He's not a perfect man, but oh my, 
He is the man God has used in our life to impact my own soul, my wife's soul, my kids' souls, and I hope every single person in this room's soul. Amen. Here's what uh, is in front of me now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a decision, executive decision here for a second. If I jump into the text, I'm going to handle the wives nagging and not get to the husbands loving, and that would mean two weeks on the ladies, and I'm just not going to do that right now. So uh, I'm going to close it down here, but here's how I'm going to close it down. I'll tell you one more story. The keep going always comes for those who have no one in the nursery. So, uh, <laughs> so I appreciate the sentiment. Believe me, my preacher's heart would love to, but I've been at this a while and we'll be shutting it down real soon. So the next morning after the funeral, next morning after the funeral, uh, we all went to my wife's family's church. One thing that's remarkable about this church, free Methodist church, gospel preaching, gospel believing church, not United Methodist, free Methodist church, evangelical church. And uh, we go to this church and first amazing thing about this church is that when my father-in-law came clean about his pornography, he was the pastor of this church. And uh, after he resigned, he stepped out of the pulpit and went and sat in the pew and he's been sitting there the last 30 years as a member of that church. I remember him saying to me probably about 15 years ago, he said, yeah, most of the problems in our church I caused. And he never bolted. Oh, and I tell you what, I mean, I've, I've been to that church one time when they preached Calvinist theology from the pulpit. I was like, this is great. You should probably leave. But he was stick, staying put. If you're not familiar with, uh, if you're not, anyway, just gonna move on from that. <laughs> that would take a whole theology, church history lesson. Sorry. Uh, service is going along. And the end of the service comes. And Chrissy's older brother, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a gym, man. He's a successful guy. He looks good. He dresses nice. Uh, he's got it together. He's a successful teacher. He's got a great family. Kid, one kid on a full-ride scholarship college. The other one's basically won a Shark Tank of Canada Award. Just great family. I love him. Love, love him. But, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy you're not expecting this of. Service is coming to the end. He storms to the front and kneels down on the altar. He starts praying, the whole church watching him pray. Okay, Brooks praying. Preacher's not sure what to do. He starts to wrap up the service. Brooke puts up a hand and goes, we're not done yet. <laughs> okay. And he begins to just tell everyone how the year his mom died has been the best year of his life because of what he's come to know about the surpassing grace of God, not because he lost his mom. 
And he starts to exhort the men in the church. And then one pastor comes up and starts saying, well, I don't know what God wants to do here, but if anyone wants to come to the front, it wasn't any kind of crazy, come to the front and you'll be saved thing. You can't get saved by walking down an aisle. But if anyone wants to come to the front and pray, call out to God, you can. Well, I was one of the first up there. Pretty soon our whole family was up there. Pretty soon there's 50, 70 people lined across the front of the church pleading with God to just do a mighty work in their hearts. I'm not here to introduce the altar call, though certainly if anyone wants to come forward, you're more than welcome to. My point is this, that kind of brokenness, that kind of desperation, that kind of pursuing the Lord, even if it looks foolish, we would do extremely well to abound in. We're strong in many ways, Emmanuel, many, many ways, but we got a long way to go. And I just wanna say to you, I just wanna say to you, the grace of Jesus is such that no matter where you are in sin, whether it's sin you've been hiding as a Christian or sin you know, you're actually not a Christian but you've been acting like one or you're just here exploring Christianity, whatever that sin is, if you come to Jesus with that sin, he will forgive you and he will save you for the very first time or save you to the uttermost. And knowing that, we can create a context where any person, no matter what their background, can actually lead and leave a legacy out of brokenness and out of grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the life of Jesus and the perfect love that he showed. Lord, I thank you for the life of Grant Teal and taking a man who fell in the ministry and giving him a ministry that just has gone down through the generations and I pray would even affect this church I love. Lord, I want to ask you that husbands and wives, that those in families that have become callous with bitterness, those in workplaces where they're not working under the Lord or where they're not operating under the Lord, Lord, that we would confess our sins, that we would repent of our sins, that we would declare how obviously flawed and sinful we are and we would receive your grace. Lord, for the ways that I have led my marriage in anger, not been reasonable, not been kind, not been have been irritable, for the ways I've failed those ways in parenting and anger, frustration, irritability, for Lord, for ways at work, I've wasted time. Or would you please forgive me and would you forgive us? And would you make us a holy and a gracious people? Pray that you do this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.